Heart heavy in hand. Badass music for badass listeners. With Pariah Burke. This is Pariah Burke, and I'm here with a band I am very excited about. Black Wolf Mountain. In just a few minutes, I am going to debut for you, exclusive to the Hard Heavy and Hair Show, the brand new single from Black Wolf Mountain. It is a track you have never heard before, because I am the first DJ on planet Earth to get his hands on this ass-kicking, southern-fried hard rock new single. But before I do that, why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell me and my listeners what you play in Black Wolf Mountain. I'm John Adams. I'm the guitar player, the guitar player, the guitar player, the uh, lead singer. Um, yeah, that's me. And I'm Dylan. I play the drums as well as do back, uh, backup vocals. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for bringing me your single and letting the Hard Heavy and Hair Show break your single all across planet Earth. Thank you. Oh, oh man. Earth, thank man. you so much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's an honor for us. Right on. So it was... It was Thanksgiving Day two years ago when you released your first single together, Drinking Gasoline, then Retribution and Power Ballad Empty Frames earlier this year. All killer cuts. Thank you. Tell me about Empty Frames. There's a vulnerability there in your vocals, John. Where does that come from? Uh, Yeah, Empty Frames is pretty much an amalgamation of three or four different stories from my past life. Um, you know, I, I've lived an interesting life and I've had a lot of friends that have interesting lives as well. And there are times when you have to remove yourself from certain people because they're heading down a destructive path and you can no longer help them because they're not listening to you. But sometimes you remove yourself and you find out later on that, you know, something bad happened or they're no longer with us. And you, you look back at things and you look back at these empty frames on the wall from people that used to be there but are no longer there. And you think, man, you know, maybe if I was a little stronger, maybe I could have helped you. Um, but at the same time, you have to think, well, shit, would you have drugged me down with you? So that's really the concept for empty frames. Wow. I love the imagery of the empty frames. I mean, it's it's really powerful. Really, The song really spoke to me and just the idea of the empty frames on the wall. I mean, it's yeah, something you know, I think, sorry. <laughs> interestingly enough, I, I have a house in Florida as well as here in Arizona, and I was packing up a bunch of frames off the wall just because they really didn't need to be there anymore. And there was a little bit of a, an imprint on the wall from frames and pictures that had been there for a long time. And it was just really kind of a poignant image to me, and it just struck me like, wow, that could be a really cool song concept. It was a really interesting time writing that song, actually. Our guitar player was playing this riff, and I guess it just triggered John. He was just like, keep playing that. And we ended up turning one riff into this huge, amazing song, which, I mean, we really worked countless hours in order to get this one right and, you know, get it to where we felt like it was the best. So I hope everyone likes it, man. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty good intro. It's actually like for me, it's I'm not really huge on writing ballady or uh, vulnerable personal type of songs, but that one just spoke to me and the uh, lyrical content just kind of flowed. I guess it struck a nerve with me. There aren't a lot of songs out there that really touch on a man's heart. You right. know, on, on what a man, I mean, you got a lot of everything by Rush you know, is all about a man's perspective on the world and everything men go through. And then 
you know, Empty Frames is one of those unique songs that, you know, like um, Poison Something to Believe in. You know, that Great just song. gets me. You know, and Empty Frames the same way. It's just, wow, this is what a guy feels like inside. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, as I was writing it and as we put it together and all that, I thought, well, you know, man, if I feel like this, I've got this sort of tough guy image, you know, maybe there's a whole lot of other people that have been through similar things and can kind of feel the same way. Maybe they can relate and maybe they can let the guard down and, and just maybe, uh, I don't know, expel some of those inner demons they're carrying around and feel better about themselves. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's give it a listen. Empty Frames, everyone, from Black Wolf Mountain. Enjoy. Unfortunately, I can't play that song for you in this podcast. It's against the law because podcast platforms don't pay the music licensing fees back to the artists like radio and my website does. So, to hear this killer Black Wolf Mountain song, please stream the free, on-demand, anytime you want, 25 hours a day, 8 days a week, Hard Heavy and Hair Show, number 274 from pariahrocks.com. You'll find both songs, the moving empty frames, as well as the worldwide premiere, exclusive to the Hard Heavy and Hair Show, of the brand new Black Wolf Mountain track, Hangman. There's no charge to you to listen to the streaming Hard Heavy and Hair Show. The difference is is only in the needed technology to make sure the artists get paid for me airing their songs. There's never a cost to listeners like you. We're back with Black Wolf Mountain, John Adams on vocals, Dylan Kidner on drums. This is Pariah Burke. Tell me about the band. Tell me how you guys got together. Um, you're in Phoenix, <laughs> but yeah. you're from all over. Tell, tell me about how all this put to, came together. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Start off. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm from Florida, um, born and raised. I moved to Arizona about three and a half years ago. I had been in a, a low-level original um, national band um, about five, six years ago. And when that kind of came to an end, I, I really didn't know that I wanted to do this again. Um, you know, playing in a band is not what everybody thinks it is. It's a lot, of, uh, a lot of fighting and climbing and getting kicked in the teeth and really no great return unless you love doing it, which I do. But I'd taken some time off. When I moved to Arizona, um, I built this rehearsal studio on my property. And I was like, well, I started getting itch to play again. So that's, for me, always the first thing that I need being a guitar player, singer, um, is I look for a drummer. So I was out kind of scoping out the scene locally for drummers. And I happened to be at a, a bar watching, I think, a Motley Crue tribute band or something like that. And I ran into this guy running sound. And he looked like a little rock star to me. And he just looked like somebody I want to know, which is 
typically I'm not the type of guy just to walk up to people and start talking to them. That's really not my thing. But he just looked like someone I wanted to know. So we started shooting the shit. And it turns out he was a drummer. And uh, I went out and scoped him out a couple weeks later to see if he could actually play. Um, it <laughs> turns out he could. We hooked up shortly thereafter. And uh, that was the inception of Black Wolf Mountain. Right on. Yeah, we got together with, uh, with another bass player and we started writing the first album. Uh, and uh, right right before we had released the first album, we went through some memory changes. We added uh, another guitar player as well as our bass player. Changes. Member changes, sorry. <laughs> so we went through some member changes and um, we added in a guitar player as well as a different bass player because our former bass player had left. Um, and we basically worked it out from there, and it's been that lineup ever since, uh, just before the debut of the first album that we put out. Yeah, we were a, a three-piece for the first almost year, but it became pretty clear to me um, after a while that it was a lot of work having to carry all the guitar and the lead vocals. So we brought in another guitar player, really just as a means to take some of the pressure off me. But it turned out he was really, really good. So I play a whole lot less guitar now, and he plays a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah, that's Jack. Yeah. God, he can slam it. Yeah. And Alex, it was funny, our bass player, he uh, he never played bass before. And he's actually climbed up his bass playing skills like a monster these last couple of years. What? Well, you know, seeing he never played bass before, that. It's, well, it's a little misleading. He was a guitar player, so yeah, he, okay. He I was going to ask what he played. <laughs> but he was, you know, a lot of times when you convert a guitar player to a bass player, they play a rhythm guitar on the bass. And Alex was definitely guilty of that initially, but in the last two years, he's turned into a monster bass player. And what's really cool about Alex is, you know, he's uh, he's twenty eight, so he's a little bit younger than me. But his two favorite bands are Maiden and Metallica, which are also two of my favorite bands. So as far as bass playing goes, going back to Cliff Burton, Metallica, or Steve Harris, Iron Maiden, you really can't get much better of an influence. No. No, definitely can't. Yeah, so yeah. So then what? Yeah, so that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so then we released the first album with those guys. and uh, Actually, those guys weren't on the first album. No, they weren't on the first album. They, they didn't record. They learned it really well. They yeah. got it down. And um, then we started writing uh, some of these new songs together. And we just started realizing the collaboration that we had was real tight. It's a good chemistry. And everyone brings in their own little spice to the pot. And honestly, I think this, uh, all these new songs like Empty Frames and Retribution, those are brand new off the collaboration realm. And now we've got this brand new album coming out. And I, I mean, I honestly think this album is going to be something amazing, especially for us to look back on and be proud of. Yeah. Well, I got to say, if these first three singles are any indication, then yeah, the album's going to kick ass. And cool. <laughs> I, I'm an instant fan. So. Wow, that's cool. Well, we appreciate it, man. We, we, we're glad that you like it. We, hell, we like it. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you know, when people label it, I guess on our website, it's really as well, because you know, a couple of years ago when they started, I, I could suppose you could say it's very Southern pride. I'm from Florida, so there's always going to be a bit of Southern Greece in what I do. But, you know, that was really kind of the band uh, two to three years ago, and now it's a much more evolved thing. There's still definitely elements of my quote-unquote southernness in there, 
but it's uh, we're a lot more broad these days. There's really, I would say we're fairly eclectic because if you're, well, once you hear the new album, we touch a lot of different places. We I don't like being pigeonholed into having to do one thing. I don't like being told what to do, period. Let alone musically. So, you know, the new album is kind of all over the place, but it still falls under the umbrella of what we sound like. Yeah, it's still got that distinctive Black Wolf Mountain sound, but you're you're stretching into different genres, right? Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, boldly going. <laughs> All right. Well, I like what I, I've been hearing. Um, other than the lineup changes, how has this second album been different than doing your first one? Well, we're working with a different producer, um, which is a tremendous difference. Yeah. Um, the last producer we worked with on the last album, he was good. I'd done my, my album with my previous band there in Arkansas, and the results were really good. The first album is, to me, it's cool. Um, I thought it was really good at the time, but I think any musician, when they look back at something like, wow, that could have been a lot better. Um, we finally, I've been previewing these songs for a lot of my friends in Florida, a lot of musician friends who I have a lot of respect for and who will not just be nice to me for no good reason. Um, and everyone is pretty much blown away with what we've got going on right now. And my, uh, my best friend, Billy, he's like, man, you guys, this producer is finally the guy you've been needing. He's got you dialed in. You guys, your sound is really where it needs to be. So I think that, you know, and also with the contributions of Alex and Jack in the band now, um, it's, it's been an evolution. The first album to me, it's, it was a three-piece band, and I can hear it. It sounds like a three-piece band. Now it's a much, uh, I don't know, it's, it's more full. broad thing. It's yeah. more full. Yeah. You've, you've definitely got that. Uh, you, you can feel a lot more energy in this uh, next album that we've got compared to the last one. Uh, I still... Love the first album that we did. Um, I still love playing, got all the songs, but with this album, this one's really pushing it. And with, like you said, with the production, the, the first album, I mean, John had most of the songs basically written out. Uh, John and I basically had taken the songs that he had had, stretched them out, and put them into the songs that we had for that first album. This one is a lot more of a collaboration where everyone's taken their step into the writing. Everyone's brought in their own little bit, has put in their two cents, like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound good. Let's try it like this. So we've done a lot of experimenting with these songs and getting them to just to what we want. So, yeah, there's, there's usually there's, there's three different processes to how we write songs. The first one um, is all come out, come in with something written out musically and vocally about 80 to 90 percent mapped out to what I think it should be. And then he completely changes stuff. Um, the second one <laughs> is all come in with a half of the song and the band gets a hold of it and we kind of turn it into something as a band. The third process, um, is sometimes I'll be sitting in my chair, we'll take a break or something and one of the guys will start jamming a riff or something and They'll jam a lot of different stuff. Every once in a while, I'll hear something like, whoa, right there. Keep doing that. And then from there, me and Dylan will kind of turn that into a song, and we'll bring it to life from there. Um, but what I will say, a, a big change on this particular batch of songs versus the last um, is Dylan has had a lot of um, lyrical melody contributions and actually full song contributions. One of the songs he wrote completely on his own. Which for me is a very strange concept. I'm not really used to anybody else writing words or music for me. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a letting go of, 
I guess, uh, control for me. But the results have been really, really good. You're coming together and gelling more as a band this time around. Yeah, the first the first album could really be considered like my greatest hits album or my solo album because it was very much the John band at that time. Um, and I, I kind of set it up that way because after my last experience, I really wasn't into having a democracy. And we're still, I would call us at this point, a limited democracy. We won't do anything that we all don't agree on, but still somebody's got to run the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to, you know, lead the psychos out of the psycho ward. Yeah. It's, well, you know, more deeper. I heard it. I heard it explained a while ago. I don't know if it was in some interview or whatnot. But usually, there's like one or two spark plugs in every band that kind of spark everything to happen, and that's definitely me and Dylan in this case. Good analogy. Yeah. So let me ask you. Later in the show, the Hard Heavy and Hair show was doing a tribute to Eddie Van Halen, mm. whom we sadly lost the week that you know we're all sitting here. Right. Hey, rest in peace, Eddie, man. Huge loss to the musical world. One of the most, I think, hands down, the most influential guitar player of my generation, oh, yeah. the generation prior to me, and a few generations that came after me. Yeah, definitely. The world will miss him. And we, we all kind of saw it coming with the announcement last November of you know his getting the cancer, but it was still a shock. Yeah, I think truthfully, you know, when he announced he had tongue cancer, what, 10 years ago? I think, you know, a, a lot of us who pay attention to these things and follow different people, musicians, whatnot, I think we were kind of like, eh, that's pretty bad, you know? So, yeah. you know, it looked like he had beat everything was coming back. But the last year that all the news in the Van Halen camp was a bit sketchy. Yeah, and David Lee back in, what was it, July, saying he thought Van Halen would never play again. And yeah, the, the band would never get together again. So yeah, I remember that. But you know the thing about with David Lee Roth, he's his mouth a lot, so you, yeah. you never really know what's what with him. <laughs> yeah, talk about the ultimate frontman, and who knows what he would have done if he wasn't the singer? You know, maybe used car salesman, or a clown, <laughs> <laughs> or a clown. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So tell me about the new song. That's what we're all here to hear. We're here to listen to the brand new song. What's it called? Well, it's actually called Hangman's Call, but it seems to be going out there as Hangman, which I'm cool with. Um, you know, on some of our prior stuff, everybody is like, oh, you got this Southern vibe, Southern influence because I'm from Florida. Well, I've been in Arizona now for three and a half years. So I'm like, well, let me write something that's got a southwestern flavor to it. And, uh, yeah, it was just one of those things. I was sitting with an acoustic guitar at my house and out of pot. No, that was the beginning of it. Yeah, that was the inception anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd it come together? And who contributed what? Well, John John came up with the uh, with, with the riff, and he, he started sketching out the, the chorus to it. You know, I'm just figuring out riff, pre-chorus, chorus, middle section. Yeah, we, 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 we were building all. <laughs> um, so small contribution, right, John? Just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> that definitely falls in the category of the first style of songwriting where I bring in something about 80% mapped out. Gotcha. Yeah, so we, so he came in and he was like, all right, so here, here's, the, here's the riff, here's this change, here's this change. And, you know, the rest of the band, we started getting it, started jamming it out figuring out, right, how do we really want to 
go and we we ended up getting a really tight you know pre-production mix and finally when we got into the studio we uh we were able to really hear it come to life and i definitely think coming from the jam room and you know doing what we could here and then actually hearing it recorded um really changed the mood of it and we were a lot more excited for it than we were previously well that's that, that's in <laughs> for me um, a lot of times when i write a song i i've been doing this long enough where i know what's gonna work what's not gonna work sometimes i'm surprised by happy accidents but this is one of when we started jamming as a band i was like yeah this has some serious potential and we worked it up as a band and it sounded pretty pretty good but once we recorded it and everything really here and fine tune everything, I'm like, wow, yeah, this definitely has some serious potential to it. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like that, you know, when you pop out a song, you throw it to the band, the band might not instantly understand what you're going for. Okay. Um, and they got to kind of wrap their heads around it too. But, you know, I think pretty early on, everyone's like, yeah, we know where this song needs to go. And it just kind of happens. All right. Well, Without further ado, why don't we give it a spin? Right on. <laughs> this is the worldwide premiere of the brand new Black Wolf Mountain song. Are we going to just call it Hangman? Hangman. Oh, Hangman. Okay. Didn't know if we were going officially with just Hangman. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Black Wolf Mountain with Hangman. Turn it up. Right on. Again, it would be copyright infringement to play songs in a podcast distributed through podcast platforms. But I can play them in the totally free streaming version of the Hard Heavy and Hair radio show. So just visit pariahrocks.com and stream Hard Heavy and Hair show number 274 to hear Hangman from Black Wolf Mountain in its entirety. We just heard the brand new world premiere of Hangman, and I am joined by John Adams, the vocalist and rhythm guitarist, and the majority writer of that song, and drummer Dylan Kidner. Guys, tell us about the song. Where did it come from? What? Where is Hangman from? Okay, well, like I said previously, you know, I have a lot, I've got a lot of Southern-inspired songs because I'm from the South, I'm from Florida. Um, this song, I've been Arizona, yeah, I've been in Arizona for a few years, so I wanted to write something Southwesterny. Um, lyrically, it's it's you know, it, it tells the story of an outlaw on the run who's kind of coming to the end of his road. He's about to get caught. He's not going to get a whole lot further, but he refuses to go down without a fight. Now, I use that as sort of a euphemism for myself musically. I've been doing this a long time, uh, pretty much since I was 16 or 17. I go through different spells sometimes where I think, man, I don't know how much longer I've got this game. So I kind of put the two together and thought, you know what? If I am getting ready to check out and not continue to do this, I'm damn sure not going out without a fight. So my last push is going to be as hard as it can possibly be. Do not go quietly into that good night, as they say. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is I, 
I go through this every few years where I think, man, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. And I think, well, this is my last push. And then, boom, something else happens. I try to get out, and they pull me back in. <laughs> <laughs> do you like touring? Do I like touring? Um, depends. What? What are, are we in a bus, a van, a, 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 a Dodge Caravan full of people and crap? Or <laughs> well, we're in the middle of 2020 Jumanji game. You know that somebody else is controlling, but. You know, assuming yeah. live music comes back and we can all be in the same room in front of a stage or on stage again. This this is my my uh, my opinion on touring because I've toured pretty extensively across the country. I've been to South America, um, done a whole lot of different things. I out of twenty four hours of the day, I like about an hour of it. That's the hour that I'm on stage. The rest of the time, uh, I don't know. I go through different spells throughout the day. There's times when you can talk to John, time to leave John held on because I tend to miss my wife, my dogs, my bed, my TV, um, all the creature comforts that I've worked hard to make nice in my life. But I love playing music. So the one hour a day that I get to play when I'm on tour, I absolutely love. So in touring, you know, it's really a matter of what the conditions are like, what the crowds are right or, or like, what the market is like where you're going to. You know, playing to Bumpuck, Iowa on a Tuesday night for five people, that's never really fun. But playing Ramshead Live in Baltimore for a couple thousand people, that's a whole lot of fun. So it's really contingent upon what's going on. Okay, gotcha. You know, then again, we'll always play, we'll always play the same for 10 people or, you know, 2,000. It doesn't matter. We still got the same energy. It's the same show, just doesn't mean it's fun. <laughs> so what is your dream tour? What would be the lineup on your dream tour? Mm. Well, a dream tour on a tour that I think every every musician, every hard rock slash metal band or whatever the whatever the terminology these days, because there's so many labels, I think everyone would like to be on a tour opening for Metallica. It just doesn't get any bigger than that. But, but as far as like what I think would be a really, really cool lineup would be uh, us, Black Label Society, Soil, another one of my favorite bands, Texas Hippie Coalition. Nice. Because they would all be, uh, it would be a cohesive package bill. And I like, I like package bills that are very cohesive where every band seems like they should be on that bill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've all seen some weird combinations on a ticket. For sure. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it would be a hell of a concert. To me, it would because that's you know that encompasses, I don't know what three or four of my favorite bands. Oh yeah, no, those guys, but well, we played with Soil before too, and those guys are just awesome. We've actually played with Texas Hippie as well, so right. I guess we're just waiting to knock Zach off the list. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Zach, yeah. if you hear us, let, let, let's do something, man. <laughs> yeah, so, so with Texas Hippie, actually, I've been friends with Soil guys for a lot of years, so it's a no-brainer for us to play with them. Texas Hippie, my wife and I have been big, uh, big fans of for many years. So when we got on that bill, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Black Label, I've met Zach, I don't know how many times, but every time I meet him, it's like re-meeting him because he never remembers me. But, but that would be a great <laughs> one to be on. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's definitely like, I would say my dream package. Now, Dylan, I'm sure, has other opinions. If I can interrupt you for just a second, I'm not going to name the band or any of the members, but... Uh, let's say it's a Sunset Strip legend. Oh. Um, first first time meeting the band members a couple of years ago, 
one of the members was like, dude, I remember you. How are you doing? Hugging me. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, somebody tried introducing me to him. He's like, no, 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 we've met before. And I'm like, no, I'd remember. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just him, you know. That's the, you know, that, that's my response to you because I, I've done some low-level touring across the country and back a few times. And there's a lot of people that know me that I don't know them. Or even locally, there's people that know me because I'm in a band, but I don't know them. But my yeah. response is like, dude, how you doing? That's like my default response, but I really don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I get that because of the show, but yeah, this was different. This was, this was. No, I know you. Yeah, we've hung out. Oh yeah, right. at at that place, that thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. How many years ago was that? <laughs> well, I had the same thing happen. I I was in another band. And I was opening up for Puddle of Mud, and Wes Scantlin walks walks uh, from backstage. He got there like thirty seconds before he was supposed to go on. Oh wow. And right before he walks on stage, he was like, Yo, bro, how's it been? Long time to see. I'll talk to you after the show. And he walks on stage and I'm like, this is the first time I've ever met this guy. What what is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I were I in the Dave Ellison from Megadeth on the gym uh, fairly frequently. And it's only been I've been running into him now for like three and a half years. But it's only been maybe the last year or so that he actually remembers me now when I, when I talk to him. Like, uh, John! I'm like, yeah, that's me, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the music biz, no matter what part of it you're in, whether you're in the radio part like me, I used to play, I used to be back, you know, I'm always backstage, used to be on stage. Uh, you meet a ton of people, you know, the labels, the yeah. promoters, the the press, you know, everybody. So there's a lot keeping all the faces straight. And a lot of us... I mean, you know, look scruffy and similar. We're easily confused. <laughs> yeah, right. very. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I was a bouncer for many years in Florida. I used to work in strip clubs, this and that. I was a musician playing everywhere. So all kinds of people would know me and I didn't know them. So I completely relate. And you figure a guy like Zach or a guy like Dave Ellison, the, uh, the thousands of people that they meet every week, yeah. it's easy to get faces lost in the shuffle. But, you know, I figure when I meet, when I run into Dave Ellison at the gym, there's a little bit of separation there. He's not meeting me, you know, at the meet and greet. Yeah. And, and actually, incidentally, we were uh, in talks with working with Dave's label, EMP, last year at this time, but things didn't pan out that way. Oh, that's unfortunate. So who are you with now? Uh, right now, we're still independent. Um, we figured at this point, we don't really want anyone telling us how to write our stuff and what to do with our stuff. And we like to have, you know, the option to own our own stuff. So at this point we're sticking independent. Um, you know, if something comes up, that's, you know, a good deal on both ends and, you know, we'll probably venture that bridge when it comes. But at this point we've, uh, been handling basically everything on our own. Wow. It's yeah. It's, um, for, for me, it's better. You know, I, I was on the label a few years ago and, it wasn't the greatest thing. Um, labels these days are not what labels were back in the 80s, 90s, or even early 2000s. They really don't provide tour support or really do a whole lot for you other than promo or open doors that you can't open. Um, and since the inception of this band, I've already kind of shit canned three different label deals because they just weren't right for me. Um, if I can get further or we can get further on our own independently, and own all of our stuff to me that makes way more sense than signing with a label 
who might not work as hard or might not do the things that we can do on our own. And then I'm beholden to them for something. I'm really not into that. It's a very different business these days than it was in the past. Oh, and then yeah. you've got, you know, streaming and Spotify and you've got conglomerates owning the radio stations. You've got the return of payola. You've got, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if you guys saw that story in Rolling Stone just a couple of days ago. Uh, no, I quit reading Rolling Stone probably around 1988 when they were really nasty on heavy metal. I, yeah. I pretty much figured they were a bunch of elitists from San Francisco. I stopped reading them at, at that point. I, I think I did read one other issue in 91 when James Epper was on the cover, but that was it. I stopped when Nirvana was on every cover. You know, right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Good reason. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a story came up recently about the return of payola in the radio industry. I was just curious if you guys had a take on that. I do, actually, because it never went away. It just got kind of buried and people didn't talk about it, but it's been going on. Yeah. You know, I've been in the game since the mid 90s and the whole payola thing has been going on forever. I remember doing a, an interview on the radio live in my town of Fort Myers where I'm from. And I'd always kind of known that it really wasn't any real calling. Like nobody ever called in or requested anything. It just happened to be that that song lined up around the same time they called it in because. Everything on the radio screen, or it's on a computer screen, it's set up for exactly what they're going to play for 24 hours in a row. You know, so getting your song on the radio, the only bands getting anything on the radio are bands that got a couple hundred thousand dollars to push the radio push. Um, because it's not a matter of whether you're a good band or whether your song is good. It's a matter of whether you've got money to push it on the radio. And that's always been the case. Yeah. Now, if it's a good song, that just helps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously yeah. products got to be there, but there's still you're not getting on radio without some kind of financial push behind it. It just is what it is. And even though people kind of forgot about it for a good many years, it's always been the case. I mean, all the way back to the '50s, that's been going on. And it's it's okay when it's the promoters calling up the stations and saying, you know, hey, play this song a little more. That's that's different than hey, I paid you ten grand. I want my <laughs> my song you know in heavy rotation yeah but that's that's one of the big reasons why i do this show instead of doing fm anymore it's i can choose my own music there's no p program director telling me what to do right um, and the problem with the program director is that from my perspective you know i was a construction guy working on job sites for a long time and i was listening to classic rock radio and it seems like the program directors they the same guys that were in charge in 1970 were the same guys in charge in 19 or 2000 where, you know, classic rock, well, Bad Company is classic rock when I was a kid. Why is Bad Company still considered, you know, one of those rotation bands when there's so many other bands in the last 20 years that could be considered classic rock and thrown in the mix? Well, it's because all these program directors just got old, but that's all they wanted to hear. They didn't want to incorporate new stuff in the mix. Yeah. Yeah, well, and then there's the other side of it where you hear Guns N' Roses on classic rock and you go, shit, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) Or you hear it at Walmart when you're shopping. Oh, man. (laughs) Muzak versions of Sweet Child of Mine. Right. You know, the album that kicked ass in the glam industry, that that killed the glam industry, is suddenly Muzak. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, considering Appetite for Destruction is probably one of the three greatest albums of all time 
you know, it makes sense it's played in Walmart. But, you know, thinking about like 20 years ago or 30 years ago when Walmart or the conservative right, you know, thought all rock and roll and metal and all that was just evil and wouldn't touch with a 10-foot stick. When I'm shopping <laughs> at Walmart and I hear boys and come on, I'm like, God, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff, though. I mean, at, at least there's some good music while we're shopping. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's timeless. I mean, it winds up on the classic rock. It winds up on Walmart's automated, you know, is it Walmart or no? Target has their own radio station that's just stored. Oh yeah, yeah Target has their own. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's it's timeless music. You know, there it's something that endures. Yeah, if it's but, good, it's good, and it'll continue to be played. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that in 20 years I'm going to still be here in Black Wolf Mountain and maybe in Walmart. <laughs> yeah, we are too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully Walmart at least pays royalties, right? <laughs> Hey, I will take it. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys very, very much for joining me. And and thank you so much for letting me break Hangman, your brand new single. Uh, when can people buy that? What's the date that they can buy that? Uh, well, I know that uh, the release date is November 3rd for this single. Um, okay. So it should be available as soon as it's on the radio. It should be out and available. You can buy that single, no problem. Um, and then the rest is, it's just time to tell. So, I mean, got to keep an eye out for the rest of this album coming out. And, uh, check out the website. We'll definitely have some updates and uh, little teasers and stuff for everyone to check out the actual full release of the full album. So the website is blackwolfmountain13.com. Yep, yes. So if you want to go check out the band, it's blackwolfmountain13.com. And I've also linked to their website from the show notes on pariahrocks.com in the show notes for Hard Heavy and Hair 274. So I'm sorry, John, you were going to say? Yeah, we'll, we'll probably be dropping a few singles before we put out the whole album. Um, albums are tricky these days because a lot of people aren't buying full albums anymore unless you're one of the big boys like Metallica or Maiden or Megadeth. You know, there's guys like me that still want the full album experience. Yeah. But these days, the attention span is so short where people listen to five five seconds of a song, they're on the next song. So we'll probably, you know, push a few singles and then I'm thinking probably January or so put out the full album. Oh, that'd be great. I hope you guys will let me know about that. Absolutely. Because I really want to hear the whole album. And I, I, I'm an AOR guy, uh, an album-oriented rock guy, so I like listening to the arrangement of songs because there's an art in how you arrange songs on an album. It's not just throw, you know, 9, 10, 12 songs on there. Yeah. I'm the same way. I feel like an album should be an experience. But, you know, I grew up on albums like Operation Mind oh, Crime. Great album. Yeah. Puppets, but, you know, those were experiences. And you, you, once you start the first song, you wanted to hear where it's going. Um, so I'm pretty much of that same mindset. But unfortunately for us at this stage of the game, we have to kind of play by the new set of rules. So yeah. we will put out the whole album and make an experience. But in the meantime, we'll be doing singles for a little bit. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. John Adams, Dylan Kidner, Black Wolf Mountain, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for releasing your single first on my show. 
I really appreciate that. Hey, Pariah, thank you so much. Man. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you to your listeners. We hope you guys enjoyed all of that new song and everything else we put out, too. <laughs> yeah. Everybody stay safe out there, and uh, hopefully you enjoy some new music. Remember, to hear the music discussed in this interview, stream the on-demand Hard Heavy and Hair show at pariahrocks.com. That's P-A-R-I-8-H-R-O-C-K-S dot com. Also hit pariahrocks.com to stream or listen on a radio station near you. The regular two-hour Hard Heavy and Hair show with me, Pariah Burke. Hard Heavy and Hair is your weekly dose of hard rock, heavy metal, and hair bands from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 20-teens, and today, including the latest new releases, your old favorites, and deep cuts and rare hair, along with rock news and trivia. This has been a Pariah Burke production. Copyright 2020. PariahRocks.com. The home of hard, heavy, and hair. Send requests, fan mail, and nude photos to Hard Heavy and Hair on PariahRocks.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PariahRocks. Pariah